So I have to confess that when Marcus invited me to participate in this panel, I had about 35 different topics that came to mind immediately. But the thing, and it, it's very odd, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me, the thing that I find most striking right now about the ethical implications, or possibly very long run, ethical implications of the technological transformation of the practice of law actually comes from reflecting on probably our most prosaic and irritating piece of technology. Um, those two tend to be related to one another, namely the much hated Microsoft Word, right? So, you know, lawyers, like so many other professionals, have what we can think of as this, you know, like painful relationship with Microsoft Word, right? So, you know, every once in a while, you're working on something and out of sheer malice, the software decides to insert some garbage in your document. And then in order to remove the garbage, one has to spend, you know, really a substantial amount of time. And it turns out that the solution, which is different from the solution from the last version and not documented anywhere, involves clicking on some icon that looks vaguely like a duck with an orthodox cross coming out of it to give you access to a menu, to give you access to a sub-sub-menu, to give you access to something with some obscure name that finally removes the garbage from your document. And so this has actually caused a small tempest in a teapot in certain corners, at least of the United States legal profession, because a number of folks, some consulting firms, I think, I mean, I imagine some corporate general counsel have started to express this sort of astonishing amount of outrage at how incompetent lawyers are at the use of this ungodly, badly designed piece of software, right? And so there are actually companies that have sprung into being, again, at least in the US, that offer technology audits to law firms, um, essentially quizzing their lawyers on you know, how to do some bizarre and incomprehensible task in a Microsoft product, um, with the idea that the general counsel that hire these can then avoid having to pay $700 an hour for the services of someone half-trained to fight with the software. And so, as a matter of ethical principles, right? I mean, this, 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 this makes a certain amount of sense. Lawyers, both in the US and Canada, have a duty of competence, um, which requires them to remove the garbage from their documents. Um, they have a duty to only charge reasonable fees, which requires them to not spend 10 hours removing the garbage from the documents on the client's dime, or alternatively requires them to not have to hire some extraordinary outside contractor to remove the garbage from the documents on the client's dime. And we quickly see that, that, that by inference from those ideas, we have something like uh, general competency and the tools that make one's practice more efficient. But so take that idea, right? So suppose there's this obligation to a general competency in the tools that make one's practice more efficient, and then transpose that 
to the set of market actors that are promoting what we might call sort of lawyer augmentation, right? So a few examples, um, there's a firm that I don't quite trust, but which advertises very well, um, that calls itself premonition analytics, no advertisement, as I said, you know, that none of their founders seem to have any actual technology background, so I'm a little skeptical. Um, but they claim to be able to use machine learning to model the dispositions of particular judges and essentially give lawyers a clue, for example, what arguments to make perhaps to convince a particular judge. And so I wonder, I mean, is it incompetent in an ethical sense? Should those services become available to not use it? just as it might be incompetent for a criminal defense lawyer not to make use of the expert testimony of a psychologist to establish mitigation of the mentally ill client's crimes. So second iteration of a similar idea. Right now in the law, we imagine you know, the artificial intelligence machine learning cluster as some kind of specialized tool that you buy from a contractor, right? I mean, more akin to desktop publishing than Microsoft Word. But there's every indication that that is likely to change. The tools for deploying those tools are getting, at least at a basic sort of sub-professional level, um, simpler and simpler. Right now, there are interfaces from Microsoft and from Amazon that are essentially allowing one to do plug-and-play machine learning. Um, a number of people, you know, Dan Katz, who'll be at tomorrow's event, has done an amazing job in teaching his students in a law school how to deploy these techniques. And so what happens when the practical difficulty of using machine learning starts to approach the practical difficulty of using Microsoft Word? Will lawyers have an obligation to deploy, for example, artificial intelligence-aided legal research techniques in their ordinary practices? Iteration number three, if you take this idea much further, I wonder if the legal profession isn't under an obligation essentially to eat itself. Um, what do I mean by eat itself? Well, there are some tasks that machines can quite plausibly, if not now, then down the road simply do better than lawyers, right? And so this is the classic artificial intelligence eating your job story. You know, I and mean, we've seen sort of the, the, the legal variation on that classic story has started with this kind of corporations will stop paying for armies of first year associates to do document review, yada, 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 hand wave, hand wave, over optimistic estimate of the impacts of technology in the near term, etc. Um, but the version of the AI eating your job story that I want to provoke here, I offer no solutions, just questions, is a twist, one in which instead of operating from the refusal of customers to waste their money, it originates from the ethical imperatives of the legal profession. 
So imagine, just you know, purely hypothetically, imagine that somebody develops a technology that, upon being fed the answer to a few simple questions from the test data, is statistically more reliable than a normal lawyer in producing wills that both adequately comply with the relevant law and maximally capture the desires of the testator. Let us suppose, for example, that the software does a very good job of keeping track of developing case law and making use of new rulings to find novel ways to achieve testator ends. Indeed, let us suppose, and I'm not describing any technology that currently exists, but I think some of us may see it plausible that such a technology could exist down the road. Let us suppose that it's so much more reliable than an ordinary lawyer, that an ordinary lawyer, even if they examine the output of the software, their second guessing would, on average, make the wills generated worse than if they'd simply let the software do its thing. And so this is like, you know, Rocket Lawyer or LegalZoom or whatever times like a thousand. So if you're a lawyer who's in that practice, it seems at least plausible to argue that you have this kind of obligation of self-abnegation, that if a client comes to you and you have a choice between writing the will yourself and simply turning to the software to do it, that the imperatives of competence and charging reasonable fees, again, with the very strong assumptions that I'm making, imply an ethical obligation to simply decline the service and turn it over to the software. And I think this actually reveals a deeper truth about the relationship between economic and technological developments and legal ethics. As the scope of efficiencies or as the scope of practice changes available to a lawyer evolves, the lawyer's ethical obligation evolves and it may ultimately evolve toward zero. I'll stop there. <laughs> the destruction of the legal profession seems as good a place as any to stop. <laughs>